This podcast is brought to you by YearToSuccess.com, a free online course on success. Enroll at YearToSuccess.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Well, Ryan, it's that time of the year. The International Convention is coming up. 2018 is coming up in Chicago. And we have the wonderful opportunity of interviewing and chatting a little bit with some of the speakers we'll have at the International Convention. Who do we have today? Yes, we are speaking today with our keynote speaker for the 87th Annual Toastmasters International Convention. His name is Steve Gilliland. Steve is a member of the Speaker Hall of Fame and one of the most in-demand and top-rated speakers in the world. Recognized as a master storyteller and brilliant comedian, he can be heard daily on Sirius XM Radio's Laugh USA and Blue Collar Radio. In addition to his brilliant speaking career, Steve is a prolific, accomplished author, evidenced by four of his books perennially making the publisher's bestsellers list and his being named Author of the Year. Steve was born and raised in the Pittsburgh area, resides in North Carolina, and travels the world. He received his bachelor's degree from Grove City College in Pennsylvania and his MBA from Globe University in Minnesota. He's a proud grandpa, devoted father of four boys, and a loving husband to his wife, Diane. Steve's keynote is going to be on Wednesday, August 22nd in the evening at 7 p.m. The title of it is Follow Me. Steve Gilliland, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Greg. So follow me is the title of your session. As I was reading the description, I'm, I'm going to start out with a, a bit of a stumper here for you, Steve, if you don't mind. Uh, it says leadership is the single most important skill you can use to improve your business. Do you think leadership is a skill or is it more of a suite of skills, a number of different skills that comprise leadership? Well, I think it's a number of skills, but I think that when you define leadership, it comes down to one thing. Um, I think a lot of people will say, well, leadership is this, leadership is that. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll list a bunch of attributes or, you know, characteristics of, of what great leaders are and what leadership is. But when you really come down to it, 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 come down, it comes down to one word, and that's influence. Because I've always believed that you have to make your life's work to serve others and influence them to do the same. And when you influence people, because you can't change people, you, you cannot change anyone. You can't change your children. You cannot change your employees, and you can't change any person sitting in an audience. What you do is you can influence them to change, and you can motivate them towards that change. But the definition of leadership comes down to influence. But I agree with you. I, I think it's multifaceted, and I, and I think it is something that I'd, I'd like to say that someday we'll, we'll completely figure it out, but I don't think we ever will. Can you talk a little bit about how your – experience with leadership and your philosophy of leadership has developed throughout your career? I think the biggest thing, you know, and, and it's something that's, it's on my website, it, it's part of my DNA. And that is that I always have said that if you take care of people, the business will follow. And one of my big things that I learned early and it has served me well is that when you behave in such a manner that is congruent with the behavior you expect from others, you grow. But you have to grow yourself before you grow your people. You know, and that's one of the things when I speak on the subject of follow me, if you expect people to follow you, 
you got to grow yourself first. Too many people dive in and think that they were born leaders. They're not, nobody's born a leader. It is something that, you know, you, you continually learn. It's something that I always say that when you stop learning, you stop leading. That makes a lot of sense because I was just thinking the other day, I was at the shopping mall and I was kind of watching a manager from afar berate an employee. And I'm thinking, you know, if he would have taken them on the side and just said, maybe just had a little bit of conversation with them, there seems to be this attitude that, well, the customers are the most important thing. The customers come first. And the customers, no doubt, it's obvious that if you have no customers, you have no business. But I believe if you can take care of the employees, because you as a senior leader, you can't, you can't, you can't do it all yourself. The customer is first, but who is the customer? And as a leader, your number one customer is the person that, you know, you're to serve. I had an incident where I was going to speak for a client and they said, you know, would you do some, you know, some mystery visits? And one of the things that I watched as I got there, I watched the quote unquote manager of that particular location walk in and the first thing out of his mouth was, hey, before we get going, and he pointed out two or three things that weren't done. And I thought, what a tone, you know, what a way to set in motion the day versus, hey, good morning, how are you doing? Hey, by the way, how is making it personal, making it, because here's the thing, you know, if we continually put people down, it's not going to work. Your job gives you authority, but your behavior owns your respect and how you approach those situations. So I've always believed that the, the customer does come first, but it's the internal customer that needs to come first. If you serve your employees and you serve that customer, watch how they treat the ultimate customer, that person who is you know, what we call the consumer. Right. So it's not just the person you sell to, but the person you lead or a person who's a member of your team is also considered a customer. It's the person you serve, correct. Cool. Steve, I want to take a step back for a second. Greg and I were talking before we got you on the line here, and we were talking about there's so many different ways we could go with this because you, I'll say, have so many identities, <laughs> in a sense, uh, as, a, as a comedian, as an author, as a, a speaker and a leadership expert. Um, so I wonder if we could back up a, a little bit and if you could share with us a bit from your from your mind, from your heart about who you are and and uh, what you bring to the world, if you would. Well, I'm a person that learned late in life what my why was. My philosophy today is, you know, when the why is clear, the how is easy. And I believe that each of us, you know, I believe that you, Ryan, you, Greg, and every person listening to this, you know, we have the ability to make a difference. And, and we have that ability to make someone's day. It, and again, not to be redundant, but I just think your life's work should be to serve others and influence them to do the same. You have to bring joy and hope. So for me, if you want to know who I am in my personal life and my professional life, with my friends, with my family, with my employees, with, with every person I encounter, I just want to bring them joy and I want to bring them hope. And, and I will you know, be very vulnerable when I say this. You know, up until about my mid-30s, I, I was driven. I was that driven person that was, you know, here's the goals, got to get it, got to get it. And it was all about me. Now I realize that I may not know the challenges that, you know, people have every day, but I have the power to bring them hope, you know, and even if that's just for a moment and if I can influence one person, that's what I hope to do. So who I am is a person that just tries to be the influencer 
that I know makes that difference. And then the other thing, you know, my biggest challenge I face in my personal and professional life is living my message. You know, my wife probably said something more profound than I've ever said when I came off of a trip one time and, and, and one of my books was laying there and on the counter. And I said, oh, do, do I need to sign this for someone? Because, you know, we've given lots of books away. And, you know, she'll say, hey, we just signed this for so-and-so. And she said, no, it's the book. It's my book. And I said, oh. So she, she referenced something. And then she looked at me and she said, I love you to death. Don't take this wrong. But she said, it's one thing to write a best-selling book. It's another thing to live it. And I'll never forget it. And quite frankly, it was a real tipping point in my life. Mm. What did you do at that time? Like, what was your reaction besides silence? My reaction was, I'm a very type A personality, but I kind of like went inward. And then the self, you know, the, the next morning, I kind of got up very early. And I started to, you know, reflect on where I've been and what I was doing and, you know, and and the drive and, and what my real purpose was. And then I started to realize <laughs> when I have somebody's attention, I got a lot of people's attention. You know, I'm a father, you know, I'm a husband, you know, I'm a friend. Um, even if I'm the president of the HOA, um, the homeowner association, it, it's what my actions are telling them. And that's another thing that I tell people, your actions have to match your beliefs. If they don't, then there's that doubt. There's that question. You know, it's that child that looks at you and says, well, well, dad, you said this, but you did that. That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Steve, as you look forward to the the keynotes that you'll be giving in Chicago, uh, can you give our listeners a taste of, of what the format is going to be? Uh, obviously, so far we've been Obviously, we've been talking about leadership, and I'm sure you're going to do that. But as someone who's known as a, a comedian and storyteller, should this should we expect this to be more on the entertaining side, uh, along with the inspiration? Are we going to see that that brilliant comedian? Yes, you will. And and here, here's something that I've you know I've even I've mentored other speakers, and that is, you know, don't be afraid. Everybody out there is saying you know content, 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 content. I don't disagree. I think content is very important. I think relevant content is even more important. But I also believe this, that if you're laughing, you're listening. And if you're listening, you're learning. So the key is to get them laughing so that they're listening. And then if they're listening, they're going to be learning. So, so my approach is simply that. Because, you know, here, here's the thing. I just did an event for a very high-profile client. And in that event, their theme was, you know, the first thing, they had three words, you know, the first word was learn, just learn. The last word was apply. So the point was, learn something, but make the application. So when I speak, I always feel like all this content is important, but if it's content, 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 and all these PowerPoints and all this stuff, all of a sudden a person walks away and says, wow, you know, that was heavy. That was great. I'll say something right now to both of you that probably may shock you, may shock a lot of speakers, but I tell speakers this. If you are speaking and you can get a person to stop listening to you because something you have said has hit such a nerve that it takes them on their own self-reflection in their journey, then you have succeeded. You didn't have to have 40 PowerPoint slides you didn't have to have seven points, six stories, five illustrations. 
what you did is you said something, and I'm going to give you an example of that so you understand what I mean. When I tell people, cure your destination disease, live more for today, less for tomorrow, never about yesterday, and I tell a story about a woman, a mom, who is sitting at a soccer game, and her daughter, who's played for six years, is out there playing, and all of a sudden, her friend sitting beside her screams she scored, and she looks up and sees the ball and the goal and realizes that her daughter, who's played soccer for six years, just scored her first goal, and she never saw it because she's checking her Facebook. And when I tell people, we are so distracted today, when I tell people that you've got to live for these moments, and you have to understand that they're six, you blink, they're 16, you blink again, they're 26. So there's an example, just a short thing, but here's what will happen. Somebody will come up to me afterwards, you get that look, and they'll say, gosh, oh, you have no idea how bad I needed this. If I were to quiz them on everything else I said, I think we all could agree. They're not going to know a lot, but they're going to remember something that in their own life, they needed to make the change. Again, I don't change people. I influence them. So if I influence them through that, so I think one of the things is, you know, you need to learn that, you know, the humor for me, I do it because I want to entertain you. I want you to be listening and I want you to be sitting there all of a sudden, instead of being on, like, I wonder what this is going to be. Pretty soon you relax and go, man, this guy's funny. But all of the humor, all the stories surround a message. So if I'm making a point on passion or if I'm making a point on purpose or if I'm making a point on pride, the story, the comedy relates to those specific words. As you were speaking, I'm still visualizing the mother looking up in a way and the ball going into the net. That's almost a visual that it's almost impossible to get out of your mind. Well, for confidentiality, I would only say this. I still have the email that she sent, and she sent that email to info at Steve Gilliland. She didn't even, you know, this is a woman that heard me speak and later would email and say, you may not remember me. I was at an event. But when she left her cell phone number, I got to tell you something, Ryan, Greg, I called her and I was in tears based on the story that she was telling me, but that's when you realize as a speaker, as a leader, as a person who shares this earth, (laughs) you have the ability in a single moment, in a single sentence, in a single word to change the trajectory of a person's life. And I think that's something that, you know, when I speak at Toastmasters, I want to make sure they understand that is that in a single moment, you can change the direction of a person's life. And the conversation I had in confidence with this woman, she subsequently said, you have no idea what that message did for me. And, you know, that's why she shared her personal story about it. It sounds like you're building up some great excitement for the session. Could you give us a little insight as to a little bit more about what you're going to talk about without actually maybe giving it away or a couple things that attendees can expect or something they can take away from it? First of all, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I challenge and encourage them to fill their own cup first. I'll be telling them, you know, you can't make someone's day if you're not inspired. You know, so you yourself, you have to fill your cup first. Because if you're happy, then you can make other people happy. You know, the living your message, we already talked about that. I'll I'll bring that out. But another big thing is be driven by the purpose. I think for me, the question I've always asked, I've asked this in interviews of prospective people, would winning the lottery change your daily routine? And the reason why I'm asking this is because if it would, then you probably need to change your your daily routine. Because, you know, for me, it's, it's why you do what you do. Too many people are process-driven. Too many people are procedural-driven. 
they're not purpose driven. So I, I will talk about that. And then something else, you know, and I'll probably close it out will be just to understand, to discover their true wealth. And, and that is your true wealth is in the way you, as again, I say it, influence others. And don't just give what you have, give who you are. Because truly, that's what we're here for. You know, when somebody said to me recently, they said, you know, they were being sarcastic. And they said, yeah, okay, write, a, write an article about the meaning of life. And I said, I have. I've written many articles about the meaning of life. You know, and the meaning of life is to give of who you are, to help people, to support people, to encourage people, to, to really be the difference. Powerful words, Steve Gilliland. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today and sharing about your keynote we look forward to hearing the full message that you're going to deliver in Chicago, Illinois. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Greg. It was an honor. Well, our guest is joining us from Brussels, Belgium. He's been on the show before, back in 2012, and his name is Lars Zutman. Lars is an advisor, keynote speaker, and executive coach on leadership, strategy, and innovation and communication for global corporations and leaders. He's the owner of Zutman & Company, a consulting and management training network, and Lars is presenting an educational session on the morning of Friday, August 24th, entitled The Innovative Toastmaster, Spice Up Your Leadership and Communication Skills with Practical Innovation Strategies. Lars Zutman, welcome back to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, great to be back again on the podcast. Lars, your session title is arguably the longest, at least the subtitle, <laughs> out of all the <laughs> sessions we have this year. And I think it maybe deserves a little bit of uh, explanation before we, before we start asking you some questions about it. So could you explain how you're going to be approaching innovation in the context of Toastmasters at the International Convention. Okay, yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, um, innovation is my passion. I advise a lot of companies on innovation. And and when um, I was thinking for my own Toastmasters experience, but also when, when I talk with others about uh, Toastmasters, when I, when I chat with them, sometimes I, we were discussing the, the field of innovation. And very often people have in mind like, oh, um, uh, innovation, no, no, but uh, we can't innovate Toastmasters that really changes something or things like pathways came to mind. And I was always like, no, well, no, 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 that, that. I, I think innovation sometimes has this big, big, big word. It's revolutionizing everything and doing everything differently. And I, I really think in Toastmasters, we can approach it a bit from a different way. I, I approach it in something that I would call micro innovations that we can do. Little new things that we can implement and put into our Toastmasters life and our Toastmasters experience, both in communication and leadership, that can, we can test out, we can, we can learn from, we can try out. And Toastmasters is a fantastic playground, so to speak, from that. So it's not about doing something radically different. It's about introducing tools, ways, strategies, technologies into your normal Toastmasters experience to really yeah, use, turn Toastmasters also to bit, uh, a bit into a personal innovation lab. Now, what you're going to be talking about, Lars, will also apply both to business and personal life, I would assume. Yeah, that, that's correct. Absolutely. It's business and personal life, and it's really also related to, to the Toastmaster experience. I really will focus both on communication as well as leadership, and that's why it applies to both personal and business life. So, for example, I, um, I will explore with the audience what apps are out there that 
that you can use for your communication and leadership. What do people use? And and I've interviewed quite a lot of Toastmasters. I, I apply a couple of apps myself. And, and it's amazing what, for example, what new technologies at the moment out there that you can uh, that you can build in for speech preparation, for leadership, and so on. And I think perfectly fitting in the Toastmasters framework where we can actually add another dimension to the Toastmasters experience. Your session description also references practical strategies, metrics, and tools. And this is this is all stuff that I love. I'm totally intrigued by the, the concept of micro-innovations. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to spill all the beans, but my goodness, I'm, I'm so curious. <laughs> Could you maybe give us a couple of examples of micro-innovations or maybe even apps or tools or technologies that, that we can use in Toastmasters that you've seen work successfully? Sure, yeah. A um, couple of apps and tools and so on that we have. I mean, one, for example, in communication that Toastmasters can use is polling software. There's a lot of well, free and also paid versions um, out there where you can tap into the collective wisdom of your crowd. And I think that's perfectly feasible to incorporate into, into a speech project. There are things like Poll Everywhere and, and, and other tools that you can use where you can do a quick, quick online poll during your meeting so people can use their devices and so on and sometimes i prefer that much over the show of hands why because show of hands everybody you know sees each other and so on but there there's this this element of of mystique of like oh what are the others saying and so on and people love a good poll and then you can really create this together or you can create word clouds together that sounds more complicated than it is you can really build this in in one two three minutes into speech and especially if you speak at a larger um uh, towards a larger audience like 50 100 uh, individuals and so on that is a fantastic tool to incorporate into your speech as well but also in the normal toastmasters experience so these kind of tools i'll be talking about and it's very very powerful other things in communication that you can do is, especially if you, many Toastmasters want to give a speech in a, in, in a foreign language, what you can use is, is, you know, record your speech, give it in English or whatever your first language is, record it, run it through the various tools that are out there, like Google Translate, and I'm talking about a couple of other ones that you can use to really very fast and quickly be able to give that speech also in a foreign language. But also meeting in in terms of leadership, you can do innovation. You know, I mean, very often when we talk about innovation, people are, Toastmasters are very focused on the communication part. But also if you lead your club and also outside, outside of Toastmasters, also there, there's a lot of things happening that you can do. And for example, one thing that you can do is for your committee meetings or for in general, for, for, you know, where you get together with a work group and meeting, you can change a bit the meeting format. Very often people just, okay, have a meeting, they sit down around the table, open up their laptops, open up their papers, and that's it. Then they talk for one, two, three, four hours, however long your meeting goes. But instead, why not do other things, other meeting formats? Why not do things that software programs do, like standing meetings, stand-up meetings, or walking meetings? And there's lots of other things that I will be talking about. Changing the meeting format a little bit can open up a totally new dynamic into also your leadership interaction. These are just a couple of things. We'll talk a lot more about some some tools, metrics, and formats in the talk. Well, that's great. It's a good thing that your toolbox isn't physical because there would be no way you could get it all on the plane. <laughs> no, that would be difficult. Yes, yes, yes. But it's a full virtual and uh, virtual toolbox, yeah. <laughs> and a great way to really engage the audience. I do want to ask you something, Lars. It was something that I, it was something that I saw in one of your TEDx talks and it's called the spaghetti principle. Could you share with us a little bit about that? Uh, yes, the spaghetti principle. Well, basically, 
Uh, and maybe the question to you, how do you know if, if you cook spaghetti or you, you watch other people, are they cook spaghetti maybe? Uh, how do you know if the spaghetti are readily cooked, if, if they're ready? Well, some people will throw it at the wall, but I would probably just uh, taste it. <laughs> <laughs> you could taste it and say, oh, is it good or not? Or you can look at the, yeah, you know, you can set the time. But indeed, what you mentioned, like, you know, you can throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. And how I think we can use that principle in innovation and in Toastmasters in general is to say, like, look, Every time, you know, little things, and that's coming back to that micro-innovation, maybe every time I go to a Toastmasters meeting, every time I give a new speech, why not build in and use in one new thing, one different thing, one maybe one tool, one strategy, one idea, and throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. And if it does well, then continue doing that. And if not, well, then you don't do it again. But I think for that, the Toastmasters experience is fantastic. You can use it as your, you know, as your kitchen, so to speak, where you can also with perfectly within the program, always try out new stuff, new tools, new ideas and so on, and really go, go deep in this one, incorporate that also that innovation piece into the Toastmasters experience. Lars Zutman will be presenting his educational session, The Innovative Toastmaster, Spice Up Your Leadership and Communication Skills with Practical Innovation Strategies on Friday, August 24th at the International Convention in Chicago. Lars Zutman, thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Eldona Luis Fernandez, accredited speaker, is the president of Dynamic Vision International, Inc., where she delivers negotiation, leadership, communication keynotes, and trainings to international organizations, corporations, and small businesses. She's co-authored and contributed to many books and authored three of her own, including Think Like a Negotiator, 50 Ways to Create Win-Win Results by Understanding the Pitfalls to Avoid. Eldana earned her accredited speaker designation two years ago. In fact, we interviewed Eldana about her accredited speaker journey on episode 114 here at the Toastmasters podcast. We're honored to once again have Eldana on our show to talk a little bit about the educational session she'll be delivering at this year's Toastmasters International Convention to be held in Chicago in August. Her session is entitled Think Like a Negotiator, Ways to Create Win-Win Results. Eldana Luis Fernandez, welcome back to the Toastmasters podcast. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. So quick question. Did you have to negotiate with Toastmasters to get this session? No, I didn't. They they offered and I accepted. That's a, a part of negotiation, offer acceptance. There you go. Well, I'm sure it's well-deserved. So if you can, Aldana, give us like a just a, a quick one to two minute summary of this session. What, what is it going to be about besides just, of course, negotiating, but what else? Right. Well, people hear that word negotiation, they think, oh, gosh, I, I don't do that and I don't need to learn that. But oftentimes we don't realize we're negotiating every single day. And what I focus on is how to ask for exactly what you want and get it 100% of the time by thinking like a negotiator. It'll be strategies to consider whether you're multi, whether you're doing a multi-million dollar deal, like I say, how to get your kids to do their homework or where to meet for dinner. Those are all different types of negotiation and the strategies apply across the board. So I'll be teaching an array of strategies to use, whether you're at work or whether you're in a relationship or whether you're attempting to get a good deal at a car dealership. Mm. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I saw that bullet point and the, my skeptical alarm went off. How to ask for what you want and get it 100% of the time. Wow, 
That's uh, that's a pretty powerful statement. Can you elaborate a little bit without uh, obviously giving away your all the secrets of your session? Well, you, you have to decide, first of all, before you even go into a discussion, what it is you want. That's part of the preparation strategy, which I'll talk about preparing in advance. And when, then you think about questions that you would ask and how maybe you can't obviously think about every question that you need to ask or somebody would ask of you, but you can prepare and think about those responses. And your bottom line is, okay, I'm going to go no higher than this and no lower than that, whether that's price terms and conditions contract terms, whatever it may be. And if you don't get it, then you can simply walk away. That's getting what you want to because you've determined what your walk away point is. So you figure out how to ask, what to ask for, and then what the outcome and results are going to be. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes so, sense. So leaving a little something on the table, that's a little bit different than getting 100% of what you want? Well, get, it is getting 100% of what you want because you figured out in advance what you will accept, what you won't accept, and what your walk away point is. And walking away is a negotiation strategy and still getting what you want because you're not agreeing to something more than you went in with originally thinking, okay, this is where I'll go above or below. If I don't get this, I still get what I want because I'm not agreeing to something that is beyond my parameters. Yeah, fair, fair enough. So you never want to split the difference, do you? you can. That's also a negotiation strategy. And it's a popular one that people use, but you have to determine if that's fair and reasonable for you. Okay. If I, if they offer this and I offer this and the difference is this, is that still within my parameters that I set before I went in? A lot of times people get caught up in the emotion of it and they'll agree to something that they wouldn't otherwise have agreed to if they had thought about it in advance. And when they walk away, they really kick themselves because they've agreed to something more or less than what they were willing to and got a bad deal. So I noticed here that your session focuses on seven primary strategies and Greg said that your book is about 50 ways to create win-win results. So I take it this session is sort of a condensed version of your book. And if that is the case, I, I'm always fascinated by this. How, how do you get, you take your entire book with all these great strategies and how did you choose which ones are important enough to be in this, in this one event? Well, when I'm looking at who I'm speaking to, I think about who the audience is and what they would most need to know foundationally. I, these are some foundational principles that everybody needs for negotiation. And then you can build on that with different strategies and such. And I usually pull some other strategies in with the seven that I'm going to share. And, uh, oh, here's another strategy. Here's another strategy. But some of the other things are more, I guess, detailed. And, and when you think about going deeper into the negotiation and things that you need to consider, uh, but like, for instance, preparing in advance is one strategy, but there's a whole lot of strategies that go in with preparing in advance. I can't obviously go over all of those, but I can highlight the fact that you need to be prepared before you walk in. I noticed in the description as well, and I really like this, it says negotiation is just a technical term for discussions and conversations to reach an agreement. So negotiation, I think you had mentioned we're negotiating all the time, but it's more than just trying to make a deal or getting the best price. Right. A lot of people think, oh, I don't do that. It's this big boardroom of people heavily haggling over a big deal. And that is one side of negotiation, which I did a lot of. But what about, okay, somebody 
puts a charge on your credit card and you have to call the credit card company and negotiate it off. Or maybe you, for one time out of never, that you never did it before, you made a late payment. Can you call the credit card company and ask them to give you a pass on the late fee? Yes, you can. Those are some, those are different, simple negotiations. Or you want to meet somebody for coffee somewhere and have a discussion and they can't meet at the time you propose and you can't meet at the time they propose. And so you agree on a time that both of you can meet. That's also a negotiation. It's simply a discussion to reach an agreement. You agreed when and where to meet. And it's the same thing, the same strategies that are used in big deals. This reminds me a lot of just the whole concept of sales. You hear people say, ah, I can't stand salespeople. I don't like sales. But people don't realize that they're selling all the time, whether they're selling you know, product or service or themselves or ideas. People are always selling. And it looks like, uh, from what you're saying, people are always negotiating and they just don't realize it. Right. And when they think of the term negotiations, like, oh, I don't have the confidence and skills to do that. So I can't negotiate. There's a statistic, uh, salary.com said that 59% dread salary negotiation because it makes them feel nervous and apprehensive. And it's that fear of what they think negotiation is because it's a little bit confronting because you're standing up for yourself. You have to stand up for yourself, own your power and ask for exactly what you want. And for a lot of people, that's that's very nerve-wracking for them. Right. Eldana, this session sounds wonderful, and it sounds like something that everybody could take something away that would be very practical that they could use on a regular basis. So just to remind the audience, this session will be, and correct me if I'm wrong, Friday, that's August 24th, from 4 to 5 p.m. That is correct. Great. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on with us and hope to see you at the conference in Chicago coming up in August. Yes, definitely. Looking forward to it. And everybody out there, come to my session. You'll learn a lot and you'll walk away with some great tips to apply to your personal and professional life. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning. Thanks for having me. Our next guest is Michelle Tillis Letterman. Michelle is a speaker, corporate trainer, and she was named one of Forbes' top 25 networking experts. She's the author of three books, including The Eleven Laws of Likeability and the forthcoming title, The Connectors Club. Michelle will be presenting an educational session on the afternoon of Thursday, August 23rd. Her topic, How to Get What You Want, Influencing Others into Action. Michelle Tellis Letterman, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Michelle, as I reflect upon your session title, in particular, the subtitle, Influencing Others into Action, it occurs to me that sounds like a pretty good definition of leadership itself, would you say? Absolutely. You know, whether people report to you or not, we do need to influence others to act in order for us to be effective in whatever we're trying to do. And so by definition, that is being a leader. I love, I like that. I thought you might take it another way. and and tell me who is who is your session for you know obviously we can all benefit from um, being able to be a more positive influence on others and and to have others comply with our our demands or requests Um, but as you think about the Toastmasters audience who is it that you really want to reach among our convention attendees the people who know what they want. So a lot of people are happy with where they are. They're content. They're good. They're not actually trying to either climb that ladder or make a change or expand or grow a skill set. And great. 
this could be interesting to them and they'll, they'll pick something up. But if there's not something that you're striving for, then it's not going to have as much impact for you. So if you're thinking, I have this dream, I have this goal, I have this wish, I have this want, come because I'm going to help you get there. Okay, cool. In your session description, it refers to positioning requests using the what's in it for them model. And I, th I think most of us have heard that. What's in it for me? What's in it for them? I, I found myself sometimes in a situation where there's a request I want to make for someone else's cooperation, but it, I'm kind of at a loss as to how that is going to benefit the other party. So do you have any tips on how to kind of drill into that and identify the wants and needs of the person whose cooperation you're seeking? There are are only a few reasons that people do anything, and I'm gonna reveal all three of the reasons that people take action in the talk. But when we think about the the with it, right, the what's in it for them, we want to ask questions. You have to start with inquiry. We need to understand, and it depends on who they are. So one of the things that conferences do, and maybe even Toastmasters does, is when they say, hey, get your manager to send you to this, here's what's in it for them. and it could be, here's how it could benefit the company. Here's how it could benefit your productivity. Here's how it could benefit your ability to work with others, to communicate, to sell. So understanding what the other person cares about, what keeps them up at night, what's their dream, or what they would do in the same situation. Sometimes it's just advice. Mm. All of those things can take you to a place that gives you a sense and an understanding of their with it. I like that with it. <laughs> That's great. Um, your session description also talks about asking for what you want with ease. And I think especially when there's a really high stakes situation where you're, you're kind of depending on the other person's favorable reply um, or cooperation in order to achieve a goal or meet a deadline on um, I think for many of us, at least for myself, that makes the anxiety all the more salient. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm intrigued as to how how um, you're going to be able to help us to ask for what we want with even more ease. Can you give us a peek into what that part of the session is going to be about? Absolutely. And first, you have to understand why we struggle. And as, as you say, it's anxiety producing to think that I need to ask somebody, I need somebody else to do something. And we don't like being reliant or dependent on somebody else. That's a loss of control for us. But it's also there's a fear of rejection. And so we'll kind of peek behind the curtain of each of ourselves individually to start to understand what it is that holds me back from asking for what I want. And sometimes it's the belief that I shouldn't have to. And, and so we have to overcome some of the, the, I guess, roadblocks that we put up for ourselves in giving ourselves permission to ask. So once we can get past all of that, then we have to think about, oh, but what if they say no? And what are the implications of that? And a lot of times we don't want to ask because of that fear of rejection or because of the position we're putting somebody else in. We don't want to make them uncomfortable. So what I'm going to do in the talk is actually give you three, maybe even four different techniques about how to make an ask that makes it easy for them to say yes, or maybe even easy for them to say no, but at least it doesn't put the relationship at risk so that you could get a yes down the road. All right. Now you, you've really got me curious. And I'm going to ask you if you can pull back the curtain a little bit and maybe <laughs> share with us one of those 
techniques that that I can use on my co-host Bo this afternoon to um, well, I'm not going to say what I'm going to ask him for, but it's it's a big ask. So with a big ask, what you want to think about is uh, that how do I make it easy for them? So there's a lot of different ways you can make an ask easy for the other person. And if it's really big, then I want you to also think about something a little smaller. And so what that is called the shrinking ask. So are there multiple ways or levels that somebody can give you a yes? And, and sometimes to make it easy for them, you have, you can shrink it and get a little lower. So, Hey, can we, can I take you out to lunch and pick your brain? If you don't have time for lunch, what about a quick coffee? If not a coffee, how about a, a, a zoom call or a Skype call? Or if you don't have the time, maybe there's somebody else you could introduce me to that might be able to answer some of these questions. So you just keep getting smaller until you can find a way to get to a yes. Interesting. So that that seems to coalesce with some research I've read that when someone has done a favor for you in the past, even a small favor, that they're more likely to do a a favor for you again in the future. Is, Is that kind of what you're drawing upon here? So you're actually now talking a little bit about the 11 Laws of Likeability book, and what we talk about there is the law of giving. And originally, that chapter, and by the way, I give that chapter away. I think you've got some things in your show notes so people can download that chapter for free. But when we think about giving, that chapter was originally called the Law of Reciprocity. And that's what you're talking about, the idea that when somebody gives, there is a desire to give back. And I think it might also go back to the feeling of, uh, appreciation and gratitude and being thankful and wanting to to give and be valuable in return, but also because I don't want to owe you anything. <laughs> I don't want to feel that that I am in your debt. Um, it's kind of like, as they say, calling in my marker. So when I was writing, I was struggling with this because that's not really my intent. When I talk about one of the drivers of likability, I changed that chapter really to talk about the law of giving because we want to give because we want to and because we can and because giving creates value and we want to give without the expectation of return. That said, you are right in that there is a psychological um, underlying desire to create reciprocity and to work off of the momentum of the relationship that has a giving exchange. Very nice. Lots of fantastic content here. I wish we had more time to chat. And Michelle, I'm not sure which laws of likability you've been practicing today, but they've certainly worked because <laughs> I like you already, and I'm sure our audience <laughs> does as well. Your session, How to Get What You Want, Influencing Others into Action, Thursday, August 23rd. Michelle Tillis Letterman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Can't wait to see you all there. Hi, this is Bo Bennett, host of the Toastmasters podcast. Back in 2004, I wrote the book Year to Success, the most complete and practical book on success ever written. Thanks to today's technology, I've turned the book into an online course. Here's the best part. The course is 100% free. Enroll at yeartosuccess.com and work on one personal development idea each day for the next eight months or so. That address is yeartosuccess.com. See you there.